This is gonna hurt. It's time, it's time for the Suffering, for the suffering Podcast. Podcast. Thank you for watching number one of The Suffering of the Brain with Stephanie Samuels and special guest Amanda Coleman. Due to the subject matter and complexity of the discussion, we had to break this up into two full episodes. Now for number two of The Suffering of the Brain. Um, Clark, Clark, it's a it, it, phenomenal story. So he goes through his whole life really bad. Uh, in every way possible, substance abuse, multiple partners, you know, just trying to prove right. himself, never told anybody he gets, he's high and he's drunk one day, his friends are sitting around and some business deal went bad. And one of his friends says, I'll bet you he's first on your hit list. And he goes, Hmm, no, right behind the guy that raped me when I was 12. And it was the first time he ever let it out. And his friends are like, Holy cow. Well, who was it? Tells him who it was. Guy's name was Dennis Pegg. Says, well, he still lives down the street. They go over his house. Clark rips off his screen door. And he said whatever his response was to seeing me was going to say whether he lived or died. He's going to dictate his outcome. And guy's like, hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. And then he tussles with the guy. He's got a knife. And he gets him to the ground, cuts his throat. Done. Over. Clark's sitting in a jail cell. The state trooper. The state trooper comes up to him and says, look, we're hearing a lot of things about this guy. Exercise your right to an attorney. Don't say a word. There's going to be guys coming in here. Quest. Don't say a word. Sure enough, that's the case. Clark did five years where the judge actually apologized for sentencing for five years because he did commit murder. But afterwards, Clark actually worked to change the laws because the way the laws used to read was first uh, after 18, you have two years or your or your first point of recollection. And you have time after that. You have two years after your your uh, the first. It's not even recollection. I think it's it's knowledge of. Um, yeah, it is. It's knowledge of the trauma. So, yeah. So he, he worked with the state trooper that was in there talking to change this stuff. Yep. So there's no statute of limitations. Yep. Because now it all makes sense to me. That state trooper has either witnessed something similar or gone through it himself <laughs> and sympathized with this guy. Now it all, now it all makes now sense all makes why sense, yeah. he did that. Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm sure he's, he's like you said, he's probably been through that before, mm-hmm. and he felt Clark's pain. I mean, and the law, the law absolutely needed to change. So, so the Diocese of Trenton ended up paying for me to see this patient, um, and they tried to buy him out, you know, and and my patient said, "I will not take a dime other than therapy until he's behind bars." But because the laws, because it was prior to the time that the law had changed, he said, he cannot be incarcerated. He's like, you're not selling me out. He was just, he was just amazing. I mean, it is. So positions of authority are slippery slope. Um, You get a God, you know, we've heard this before. Police have a God complex. And positions of authority, such as priests or police officers, it could go. Teachers. It could go either way. If in my mind, and this is going to sound very, really harsh, if you take advantage of somebody who is under your care or looks up to you, mm-hmm. you are the biggest piece of shit. Biggest mm-hmm. scum. I have ever met in my life if you are willing to do that. So exposing these people, showing them, it's kind of like uh, you're, you're opening the curtain and putting them out on display. Mm-hmm. So that to me is more valuable than incarceration because incarceration is going to be treated like a human being. <clears throat> Law-abiding citizen. Yeah. Yeah. The best movie. Yes. Oh, my God. Law-abiding citizen is awesome. Is awesome. I I cannot tell you how that scene. (laughs) The end of it was was especially touching to me because he had done all these things and realized what he'd done and, and took himself out. So I, I, it's a spoiler alert, everybody. I'm sorry, I just ruined that movie. So actually, I'm gonna. I interpreted it differently. I interpreted the ending is that he had one lesson to teach. And it was to Jamie, you know, Jamie Foxx, mm. which is you don't, you don't negotiate with terrorists. Yeah. Is that he needed, and finally at the end, and you hear Jamie Foxx saying, no, you taught me that there's basically, there's no negotiating. And he had, he had the, uh, uh, the, the bracelet that his daughter had made him and stuff. And you could tell he was at peace because he had died years before. He died when his family died. Yeah. And and every time he kept manipulating 
And they kept negotiating with him and negotiating with him and negotiating with him. And finally, when when he came in at the end and he's like, I'm done. I'm done. You know, every cop who watched that movie went, good for you, bud. Oh, yeah. Every single nice. one of them. Uh, every single one of them. Yeah. Now, Amanda, when, in, in doing what you do now, you've come across this with police officers? Yeah. You come across quite a lot. Um, and it's funny because it would only be... It, it tends, Irish Angel is very different, right? So it's different to cop line. People have a have a straight line to you when, you know. They have it to me. Not to you, but I mean, <laughs> I'm you know. I'm the last to, person you, that answers they, that they line. They do. The we, we, don't, we don't have a line. We, in fact, we have you guys up as one of our resources on there as well. So um, we're very much about, um, social media has always been my thing. And. But people look at you and you're that symbol. So people open up. To, you have that, something about I mean. you. You People open up to you. That's what I mean. She's it's the like fa- She's the face of the franchise. Because of our social media, <clears throat> the amount of people that send us messages and they feel like you're just that I'm their friend and they feel that they can talk to me, you know, and, and I'm just there to listen. And, and, I re- and I think that's why I relate to it so much is because I've had everything that you just mentioned that the cops had when they were younger. Yeah. Everything like that's all that's been my life, and, and don't forget that that they weren't cops back then. Exactly. So, so, exactly. so, so your roots, the 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 kind of the the foundation of trauma, yes, is is similar. Yes, it's, it's very much same, so. And but, I think but, that's why then, I relay. And then as they as as everybody branches out into their own professions, careers, or whatever, but but that caregiving profession exactly becomes one of the strongest. I agree. And um, I think that's even how I am with Irish Angel. It's because now, I mean, I and said this before, I was a hairdresser from Ireland. I knew nothing about, <laughs> apart from obviously my mother suffering with mental health issues. But I mean, I knew nothing about that kind of way, nor the law enforcement world, really, you know. And so when I found, when I got into it, I realized it came natural to me. It was like, this was my calling. Do you know what I mean? I, I, Totally no. Yeah. So now comes this other piece of this, because one of the things that's frustrated all of us is this suicide piece. Yeah. Is this, why haven't we been able to get these numbers down? What is it that we are missing? Mm-hmm. It's frustrating. Okay. Yeah. It's frustrating to me. And I've, I've done some stuff with Amanda where I, I might've reached out, you know who I'm talking about, mm-hmm. reached out to somebody and I get so frustrated because I can't help. But you know, it was John Sullivan came in here and it, it's an AA principle. Which, you know, I've been through. <laughs> I've been there. It's, you know, you're only responsible for the effort. You're not responsible for the result or the outcome, something like that. And I'm sure it's frustrating to both of you when you see that stuff or you lose somebody. Yeah. So here's the other piece now for me, which I know we're going to touch on, is what's the missing piece? This is the stuff that I want to talk to you about. <laughs> and Can this, you cure me? This became the most <laughs> fascinating part of my career that I have dealt with thus far. And that is the role that head trauma plays in a, a person's life, but particularly in law enforcement and firefighters, these first responders. So, you know, the NFL has been looking at... CTE. Chronic traumatic encephalopathy, right? So so the recent research, which is literally came out this year, a few months ago, uh, Dr. Daniel Dancervar was the, the lead researcher, that for the past 15 years that they have put sensors in helmets... Which don't work half the time. No. Starting in high school, going through college and into the NFL. And what they found was that CTE is not, is not created, is not um, that you don't get CTE from concussions and traumatic brain injuries. You get it from non-concussive repetitive head impacts. So... So your contact sports. So they have found CTE in 17-year-olds and that the hardest G-force hits, they look at G-force hits for CTE. And so that the, that the, the hardest G-force hit is in a high school 
football team. And I was like, well, that's really weird. You would think that that college and NFL would be a lot. Yeah, hopefully they, they, they're able to, they're, they're trained a little bit better to protect themselves. Exactly. In, in high school, you're not trained as well to hit. Nope. I'm going to give you the other one. Your neck muscles. Your neck muscles have not developed at those earlier years. But by the time you get into college, so that you can, so that when you take the hit. You can absorb it. Yes. Wow. That, that your brain is not. Yeah. Because don't forget, your brain still moves. So now let's so now let's go with the true profile that we all are on the same page of a cop. Somebody who has grown up typically in a violent home, in a, a violent community. Molestation, rapes, normally violent. Normally heads are involved. Okay. And I'm not talking concussions. I am talking about a, a injury that happens from slamming strangulation which people don't even look at and then and then you go on and now you play contact sports you play soccer you play you wrestle soccer's not a contact sport you, <laughs> it, it is when you decide to hit a ball for you know yeah you, not I'm only it's, a, it's an ongoing battle between football, <laughs> football and soccer, and soccer. So, um and 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 then you you play football so you've got and then you've got your your motor vehicle accidents when you were a kid. You've got your falling off of, of bikes. You've falling got bike, trees. Yeah. You've got all of these different things. So when my patients come in, I now do an incredibly long, in-depth um, head injury evaluation. Now, is it true that you, you're you tied into the CT Institute in Boston, correct? So, um, so uh, am I tied in? So the answer is kind of, really cool is that um, that I have been able to put together a research team to look at this in law enforcement and that on February 28th, read the paper that February 28th of, of 2023, that the, um, that the Unite Brain Bank in Boston, which is the largest brain bank in the world has changed their inclusion category to be law enforcement and other first responders, which means that when an officer a first responder dies any place in the world, okay, whether by suicide or not, that their brains can be donated at the expense of the Unite Brain Bank. Absolutely zero cost to anybody to be able to look at the brain. And what the researchers think is that we are going to find the same percentage of officers that they found in the NFL that are going to have CTE. Well, I mean, isn't isn't fascinating? Isn't this? Oh my God, it's incredible! So now, when you look at, and that's just that's CTE, but now when you start looking at concussions and traumatic brain injuries, and I've got to show you. So the cop line card, and I've got them in my bag outside, is that we finally did on the back of them this overlap because when you talk about depression and anxiety, so when you look at behavioral changes in law enforcement and cognitive changes, Mm -hmm. it is. Depression, anxiety, it is mood dysregulation, it is irritability, outbursts of anger. You literally, I'm literally talking about PTSD. Yes. Yes, 100%. And yet nobody has looked at the comorbidity. Is holy shit, this is the damn missing piece of suicide prevention in the goddamn country for law enforcement. And first responders, if we don't start educating and talking about this, we're not going to see the reduction in numbers. Because what happens when your frontal lobe is damaged and executive functioning isn't working? Impulse control. The other thing that we know is that with people that have head injuries, they are 30 times as likely to have substance abuse issues. And when substance abuse hits somebody with a brain injury, it gets a fucking grip on them yeah. like nothing it amplifies it. else. Yeah. And then comes the, <clears throat> now you're drinking or whatever. Now you're going to be prone to more head injuries. So it's this vicious cycle. So one of the, um, so back on January 6th for, for the Capitol riots, one of the officers um, that was there was Jeff Smith. Jeff Smith worked for Metropolitan Police Department. Um, 
and was inside of the Capitol that day. We know that he was exposed to flashbangs, better known as concussion grenades. Okay. We know that he had, he suffered a loss of consciousness while inside of the Capitol from body cam. And then we know that um, we watched on the body cam, a pole, a metal pole hit him square in the head. Okay. And you hear him on the body cam. He goes and there's a certain protocol. He goes to their, you know, whatever their, their health department is, whatever for, for Metro PD, he gets cleared. And the first day he's going back is nine days later, ends up taking his own life on the way to, um, to work. So, um, so his widow, um, Aaron, who's incredible. So I, I spoke to her cause I was talking to, to Karen Solomon mm-hmm. and Karen's like, you need to talk to, to this woman, you know, Aaron. So I end up, um, uh, having this incredible conversation with Aaron. And what we know about post-traumatic stress disorder is it cannot be diagnosed for 30 days post-incident. However, nine days later, he, he took died. his life nine days later. So everybody's like, because it should be a line of duty death. Everybody's like, well, you know, we can, they're dealing with PTSD. And she's like, I don't want my husband necessarily to, you know, for people to believe that he died because of post-traumatic stress disorder when the truth is, the autopsy showed that he had a fractured skull. His behavior had changed within sight of 24 hours. So the other thing we know about head injuries, which is why there's a damn concussion protocol, not for the police, is that factor multiple becomes a key component. So if you do not let your brain rest and heal and it sustains another injury, you're at factor multiple. So now it's not like having, you know, two concussions. It could be like having 10 concussions. And this continues. So if I said to you guys, because this is one of the easiest ways of doing it, if you take your, your index finger and you move it towards your nose, you should be splitting and seeing two about here. Most of my guys in my practice are splitting about here. They are anywhere between a foot to 18 inches. And I had a wife come in because there was an incident and, um, and it ended up costing the, uh, her husband his, his job, except I didn't, under, I, I didn't know this back then. You know, this is years ago and, and you know, thank God I have a, a good relationship with, you know, patients and past patients. And I said to him, I need you to come in. I, I need to do a concussion intake on you. He had played contact sports. He had boxed. He had played high school um, football for years, um, was on the SWAT team countless times for, you know, flashbangs. It was just time after time after time after time. So um, he ends up coming in and his wife who's a nurse is kind of, you know, not really having this. And so, so I did this. Yeah. And so he, he's out to here and he's like, okay, it's two. And she's like, honey, you're not hearing her. You need it when, when you see two uh, of your pointer fingers. And he's like, I hear her, I'm here. And she just started bawling because she realized as much as she wanted me to be full of shit, there is an issue. There's an issue, yeah. Yeah. And there's a theory behind it. Correct. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's the holiday season. Everybody's looking for the perfect gift. The way that I give gifts is I give the gift of time. It's the one thing they're not making any more of. Okay, everybody always worries about how much money they're going to spend on gifts and everything. It's got to be something that's meaningful and helpful to that person. You know the one person that always gets denied a gift? And that's ourselves. We never look out for ourselves. You know, and, and the best way to get some help for yourself is to make sure you're taking care of your mental health. Therapy has been such a huge part of my life for the last 10 years, and I have a feeling it's going to continue to be for the rest of my life. You know, we, we both went through traumatic incidents, and therapy's been a big part of our life, and it probably will be for the rest of our lives. You know, sometimes you think you know everything about yourself, but there's professionals out there that know more about your brain than you, than you know yourself. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a shot, there's no better one out there than BetterHelp. It's entirely online, it's convenient, and flexible to your schedule. So just go online, fill out a brief questionnaire, and you get matched with a licensed therapist. And at any time, if you need to see a different therapist, you can go to a different therapist at no extra cost. In the season of giving, give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. Go to BetterHelp.com suffering for 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash suffering. So 
85. So now I'm looking at my own practice. I have a very sizable practice, um, <laughs> which, uh, which the insurance company absolutely hates as <laughs> they continue to audit me on a regular basis. Um, and so 85% of my practice, I have ended up referring to a neurologist because psych meds aren't working, because impulse control is there, because different meds now come into play. I think, I think psych meds are temporary relief, aren't they? So it's, a, it's actually, I was, I, I'd just been schooled on this. We, we've, we've taken them, but nobody really knows why you take them. You give it, you know, the no. protocols, antidepressants, anti-anxiety, but it dulls the amygdala. And I got off of them because I did not feel sharp. I always prided myself on how sharp I was. As many head injuries as I've had, you know, as many undiagnosed concussions that I've had, I was always You got your sharp. bell rung. Uh, yeah, I was yep. always. <laughs> you got I your was, bell rung, they put smell and salts in front of your face, go back in, kid. Yeah, exactly. But I was <clears throat> sharp, you know. I could, my, my amount of uh, mental acuity and recall was always very, very good. And when I was on those things, I sort of like, you would say something. It was kind of like when Amanda walked into it. I was just, uh. uh, <laughs> uh you, got, you got a concussion <laughs> when Amanda walked into it. it it's it, it's <laughs> a dulling. But, you know, there's also a balance, and I can't speak, you know, and again, I'm not a medical doctor, so I, I'm not going to, you know, be to speak on on the med side and, and the neurological side. I'm speaking side from personal experience. So, um, and, and but I can certainly speak from from patients' perspectives as well, which is that's pretty common. But when you are trying to navigate between the irritability, outbursts of anger, and and the impulse control and all the stuff that goes along with it, and you're trying to balance that out with with kind of living one's life, is that that that's what what doctors look at. But now when you go to a neurologist, so my thing is, you know, and a lot of these meds aren't working because one of the things is PTSD, we know that we have memory issues, right? Mm -hmm. Concentration, memory. Yeah. What happens if it's from a goddamn brain injury? Yeah. So now we're medicating for, for a psychological mm -hmm. disorder and then then patients get really frustrated because why did they say it doesn't work? Yeah. You're, you're dulling the brain. You're not fixing the brain. It's throwing a remote at your wife. Consider impulsive. I'm going to take the fifth. Okay. <laughs> it depends how long you waited prior to the toss, but but it um, was, but it was, how about multiple times? Because this is the uh, scary part about what you're saying. You're going through all these things, and I'm placing my behavior in exactly yeah. what you're saying, and up and down the line, um, it obviously got accentuated after my my shooting. But I'm looking at all this stuff, and I'm like, holy cow! Like this is this is groundbreaking but what is the end game on this stuff so end game is that there is help for head injuries so it's not through psych well i, I want to make this very clear psych injuries need to i'm not a doctor it's, like you but there's I'm not a doctor. But, but there's there's alternatives like you can go to a neurologist you can see if that path works so now now really doing a deep dive into my own patients and realizing that when they turn their heads really quickly, they get dizzy or they lose balance. So now we've so now we know there's vestibular stuff. So there's vestibular therapy. When we know that their eyes are splitting, or you do the nystagmus, and when you do the nystagmus and you're not drunk and your eyes are bouncing, your eyes are bouncing. Yeah. That we know that that there's ocular therapy. So we treat symptoms. CTE is the same. You can't diagnose CTE. Until the person's dead. It is only done through pathology. So, uh, period. People need to understand that that, that, that. that there's no magic to this. But what we know is symptoms. And when I lecture, I put up literally all of these symptoms. Well, is that the, is that the theory behind EMDR? Ah, yep. Now, now, that's great. So, let's go with EMDR. So, what is fascinating to me. Let me explain what EMDR is first. Uh, so, yeah, EMDR is you, you have a, so I've heard. Um, <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> so it's like you have a, a panel of LED lights and you have two controllers in your hand while the therapist is talking. Remember this. The lights are going back and forth. And I'm not sure exactly how it works. I, I thought it was a lot of um, what I like to call hippie medicine. But I'm finding out more hippie medicine is more based in reality than traditional the Western traditional, medicine yeah, a lot of exactly. times. EMDR didn't hit me until like a week later where I was just, I became very introspective. I started thinking about stuff. I started having recall about stuff. I wanted to remember things I didn't want to remember. And EMDR sort of woke up a, a portion of my brain that I thought I buried down. Mm -hmm. 
So now I'm going to give you probably another better concrete theory of EMDR. And I just read an article on on playing Tetris and how that's supposed to, you know, be able to, to do, you know, with PTSD or whatever else. What are these doing? They are stimulating and activating your frontal lobe. Mm-hmm. That is therapy. That is cognitive therapy for brain injuries. So if people have brain injury, they should play video games all day. So, it, so, the, so the answer is that that video games, you know, do help stimulate the frontal lobe. But it is yeah. it is about frontal lobe. So, so the treatment is probably correct, but the etiology is not. So, how many people did a concussion? I, I think probably everybody in here has been in therapy, and I will tell you, including myself, I'm more than happy to out myself because I really do feel that as a clinician that I can only take my patients as far as I've gone. And if I tell you that it's good for you, it better be good for me. I'm no exception to this rule. But I have never had anybody ask me about concussions, ever. Because it was it was never You seen, never linked them. Yeah, you never, nobody ever led me down that path to say that this is even a possibility. Yeah. The first time I heard it was you sent me an article, you sent me a couple things, but oh, yeah. one of the articles you sent me, I'm like, wow. This this makes a lot of sense. Yes. But see, a concussion is a concussion is considered like a thing of the past, right? Oh, I had a concussion when I was ten years old. So the brain but nobody looks at the long lasting effects of that. The concussion. brain keeps score. Yeah, the brain but literally. People, but keeps people don't score. Yes, and so so in my in my intake, I actually go after how many times that you've had these different concussions or or non concussive hits. I uh, you know. And loss of consciousness or not loss of consciousness. So I will tell you in the NFL that three confirmed concussions, three, they start talking about retiring you. So we did, so we launched the first research on, um, on head injuries in Texas. Texas Municipal Police Association said, we'd love for you to do this. Um, I don't know if you, if you deal with them down there, just an amazing group. We're going to get together on this one. Um, (laughs) And so TMPA said, you know, we, we care about our members. So, and, and we care about, you know, mental health. They, they know me and, and they said, we think you're onto something. So check this out. So of, of the people that answered the survey, okay, and had confirmed post-traumatic stress disorder. So a mental health professional had, had diagnosed them that 80, over 87% of those that have been diagnosed with PTSD, 87% had five or more concussions. Keep in mind, we retire the NFL after three. three. 50% of the people that were diagnosed with PTSD had 15 or more concussions. Oh, my God. I mean, see, that's... (sighs) Like I said, I've, I'm fine that this, uh, this is like a revelation. This is... This is... I've I've had four or five confirmed concussions playing football my whole life. But like I said... You got your bell rung so many more right. times. So, and it's not just bell rung. So every time, so what has the NFL changed? The NFL has changed training. So you get zero contact training before season. The season zero. starts. Yeah. You get two during training. Because how many times are you actually in the game? That compared to the amount that you train. Now think about cops. Think about the trainings. We need to start figuring out if we want to see the reduction in suicide rates and these diagnoses. Because the other thing we found, and this fascinated, so so there's this there's this research team, and one of the the researchers. I know that you've got leader on your uh, your thing. So I, I I co-founded the leader. I co-founded leader when I was up in Boston. So um. So the the head, uh, psychiatrist there, Dr. Beth Murphy, is is also on the on the research team. So what we found that was so fascinating was that this seems to be going in both directions. So follow this: you've had no concussions, okay, and now you have this traumatic event, okay, and you and you're able to deal with this traumatic event. However, two years later. You're in a car accident, and now all of a sudden, the traumatic event that you had two years ago, all of a sudden, you you are reliving it. It resurfaces. Correct. Yep. And the opposite is also the case. 
So now I had a traumatic, you know, I, I had, I was exposed to, to, you know, I played football and all of this. So I had, you know, multiple concussions. I had non-concussive hits. I've had the repetitive head injuries. And now I'm exposed to this traumatic event. And, and it is on steroids that this is just wreaking havoc. So we are finding that it isn't going in both directions, which is so incredibly fascinating. And that's something that we didn't expect to find. Because like you said, the, the brain keeps score. The brain, the brain keeps score. score. I mean, that, that, that makes so much sense now. Here's why this is so important. Because you cannot fix a problem until you know what the problem is. Mm-hmm. We just know that suicide is out there. Post-traumatic stress is out there. That's what we know. Right. Right. But we really don't know what the problem is. And this is posing an unbelievable question that I could sit here and listen to you all day. I really, really could. I do have a question for you, though. Knowing what you know about me from the little times that, that we've sat face to face, and Mike as well. See, I'm afraid to ask that question myself. <laughs> what are the chances that we have either a CTE or a TBI what are, what, if you had to, and I'm, I'm not holding you this, I would, without doing any of your clinical work, I'm, I'm very interested to know. So CTE, um, again, I, I always hesitate in, in even going down that path because I, I don't know how many repetitive head impacts that you've had. 15 plus. Um, but, but no, because you've got to start in childhood. How many times, how long did you play football for? Until I was 22. Starting at what age? Seven. Okay. So uh, so you didn't just have, you know, 15. You're talking about non-concussive hits. You're talking about every time somebody pushed you. Yeah. When you are pushed, what happens with your head? Yeah. And, and they're talking about with a G-force hit. So that's what they're looking at. They're not looking at concussions. They are looking at the non-concussive hits. And it's not, it's not only a hit to the head also. No, absolutely It's a jarring not. hit to the body where Correct. Your, your neck snaps. Correct. And, and the rotational whip, hits, the rotational yeah. hits are actually worse. Yeah. And it's like we said, when you're, ch- when you're a child, when you, before your neck is even developed, right? Yep. All those hits that you're getting, you're yep. not absorbing the, the impact properly yep. at all. So one of the things, so, you know, with this knowledge, so, so Dr. Dan Sphere now trains with Copline. So that he trains our volunteers because, again, knowledge is power. Mm-hmm. So I believe that we're the first hotline in the world that's training on on asking our callers about any type of head impact that they had, being able to talk about this, and then and then being able to give them referrals not just to culturally competent therapists that they're talk therapists, but also being able to refer them to the Concussion Legacy Foundation. So if you go on CLF's website, that CLF has now changed so that when there's there's helplines, coplines listed as one of the the first resources for first responders, but there's there's something that you can fill out for the helpline, and they will then get you the culturally competent neurologists and appropriate medical doctors to deal with the head injuries. Amazing. So so when when we talk about us working with them, yes, that's the work that that we've been able to now do and CLF's website is is changing and they're building one out just for first responders and law enforcement because they absolutely anticipate that we are touching on the tip of an iceberg right now. And, and we're training our guys to ask these questions. So I'm going to be one of the first in line, first chance I get, is I will donate my brain because... Oh, I always said that. Here, here's why. Not because I, I really... First of all, good luck. <laughs> well, I, I want to donate my brain because I want all these pathologists and all that to just yeah. start laughing. Like, what the hell's going on inside that thing? But after I'm gone... If I can stop one, yeah. If I can stop two, right. Great. If I can, but one's enough for me. Like one is enough for me. And if you listen, it, they they could look at my brain and say, "Yeah, no, no, we're not." They just throw it right in the garbage. Next, and or or it'll end up being put in Frankenstein yeah. by uh, Igor, yeah. it, the abnormal brain, the Abby normal. But it's it's amazing that there's finally something. Yes. 
other than these traditional treatments, which aren't working. I, I hate to say it. They, they're they're yeah. limited, limited success. And again, when you talk about EMDR, when you talk about some of this stuff, you need to – like like meditation, again, stimulates the frontal lobe. When we look at what it is, again, it's not that you throw the baby out with the bathwater, but you need to understand why the hell it's working. Yeah. And if we can explain that we are activating a frontal lobe, that that this long history – of, of head impacts and and concussions, whether diagnosed or not. Most of us, you know, we are of, of an age where we are concussed adults that parents had us shaking it off from the time we were three years old on, you know? R- rub some dirt on it. <laughs> right. So, but if we can understand why it's working, oh, that just makes a world of difference to all of us. It really is a game changer. I, okay. I, I agree. And just so you know, as far as if you want to donate your brain, if you go on Copland's website, We've got a link that that will do it. A lot of of people have ended up. Um, Can Kevin donate his brain before he dies? <laughs> I did that. I did that last year. I sold I was it. Gonna say, yep. Yeah, but it's. I'm so grateful that I I came yeah. to you because we're always looking for alternative methods. You know, we're yeah. always looking for things that are outside of the box, outside of the norm. Because our our path through post traumatic stress was not an easy path, yeah. and it it it. It did some good, but I feel like there's. I left some stuff on the table. That's why I go. I'll go into a harmonic egg. You know, we talk about, or I'll try certain forms of therapy. I'll try Reiki. I'll try all that stuff because here's the bottom line: when you are in your deepest, darkest hole, mm-hmm. you will bend down, put your head between your legs, and try to stick your head up your ass if you thought it would help. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, you will do anything. And I'm okay with sticking your head up your ass as long as somebody can explain to me why the fuck it's going to work. There you go. That, and, how, that, and how it'll fit. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to worry about that right now. I, I, because before I try it, I want to know why. But, to, but, but, but that's it, As that's long huge. as it, it gives you some sort of relief, which is you yes. know, going back to why cops have such b- bad addiction problems, because it, it's whatever works, whatever yeah. works at the time. Right. But Kev, I, I think you'd agree with this. Our our path through post traumatic stress was really by feel. Yo, it was right? totally by feel. Yeah, it was, there was nothing that was set in stone. It was just by feel. If, but, if something but felt now, like it was working, but, then you went with it. But yeah. now you have a true metric. It was kind of yep. like the first time I discovered the use of heart rate variability to see whether I'm tired or not. Because in the old days, before you could monitor your heart rate variability, you were just tired. And if you didn't want to go to the gym or you didn't want to work out, you try to sort of push your way through it. And if you couldn't push your way through it, you were just a wuss. Right. But now with heart rate variability, it's like, I'm feeling tired. I check my heart rate variability. My body's tired. Now you have a metric yes. on, order, on how to judge all that stuff. Right. Not only for the people who really need it, but I got to be honest with you. You can do that metric on people who are full of shit, you know, that metric. And it's not going to work every time, but at least there's something in place to say that's quantifiable that says, okay, there's all the markers are here. This is the most encouraging news I've heard in years. Now you understand why I'm so excited yeah. about it. Amazing. <laughs> you know, I think it's amazing. And, you know, and, and dealing with like medication. So, you know, one of like, if I get limitless amounts of research money, I mean, one of the other pieces is how many of our police officers have early onset of dementias, because that's also looking potentially <laughs> at CTE. So if that is the case, what I don't want is you guys being pigeonholed or anybody being pigeonholed into this is PTSD yeah. and there's memory issues. When the truth of the matter is there's probably underlying neurological issues, which means drugs change. So you go to your Aricepts, you go to your Alzheimer meds, which stop the progression of the tau protein. Tau is seen in Alzheimer's in a certain part of the brain and tau is seen in CTE CTE, in a different part of the brain. And that's what slows it down. But until we start really asking questions, we're not going to be able to do this. And we need to. No, when I, I was looking at um, who's the uh, who's the actor now <laughs> that's, that's that's struggling right with uh with Bruce dementia. Willis. Yes, Bruce Willis. Yeah. What do we know about Bruce Willis? He did all his own damn stunts. Yep. Did you? Yep. Uh, I'm going to tell you. It's not I, good news for Jackie Chan. It, never mind, <laughs> or Jackie. Tom Cruise. Yep, Tom Cruise. I have no well, doubt. He, he eats of, he eats fetuses. That's how he stays. I was so say, young. And some of his <laughs> behavior is probably also. And when you look at yeah. his mood yeah, dysregulation right? and stuff, 
I mean, he's off the charts. Well, he, also, but, he's from New Jersey, so he's, yeah. he's a little. But everything yeah. you're saying, ba everything you're saying, it all just—it's all—it's like sorry, it's like the, the missing. It's like the missing right? pieces, right? And that's and that's actually the name of my, when I present. It's it's a, a missing piece of suicide I, prevention. I actually, I'm excited. I'm fascinated. So I. I'm like, so and, I'm, this is crazy. and I'm all in. And I'm I'm seriously. Can all I just in. ask a, a question, yeah. right? <laughs> just from a perspective of if somebody reaches out, obviously to Copline for help. Yeah. So now they're asking about the 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 knocks and all that kind of stuff, your brain injuries and what have you. So when they're um, being assessed, what is the protocol like? Do they go for you know normally the way they're assessed based on their assessment, they're so, sent to a treatment facility that so best suits their needs. We don't. We don't. Uh, you know, we don't uh, assess them. So, right. so you call up. You, you're an officer. You, you're dealing with. You know, you give us all the symptoms or what have you. You know, and, and the officers, you know, in that hole with you. Yeah. And then, and then being able to say, you know, how long have you been depressed for? You know, blah blah blah. You're struggling with this, that, and the other thing. I'm also wondering whether or not you have experienced any type of head trauma, because what we're finding with research is that there is a large correlation between depression, anxiety, and people with PTSD, you know, like gotten your bell rung, you're not diagnosed, did you play contact sports? And when that happens, then the referral goes to the Concussion Legacy Foundation, and we let them deal with the Great. with the experts. Yeah, I was so, wondering how it works. Yeah, like, that, that's, that's how it is. Um, well, yeah. I do want you to give out cop line, okay. all the information. I want you yep. to give out all these plugs because... Just to tell everybody the value, I called one of these hotlines when I was in a really bad spot, and it got me into somebody who I trust. And without it, I, I don't even want to think of the possibilities. Yeah. But you called all those sex hotlines before you, <laughs> before you got to and that. And you were paying a fortune. Yeah. 1-900 numbers were my piece. Some people drink it away. I call phones. Um, but uh, please give out all cop lines information. So, so cop line is 1-800-COP-LINE, which is one 800 Two six seven five four six three. Capline is a not for profit um, that we take no state or federal money, and and the reason why is for the integrity of these lines. So um, so there is only retired, vetted, trained officers that answer those lines, and there are three reasons why we will breach confidentiality. If the caller is engaged in child abuse, elder abuse, or is going to kill somebody, we do not breach for suicide. You are allowed to talk about the worst day of your life without fear of somebody coming to get you. And that has proven time and time again to be invaluable for Copline. And we also know from numbers that, you know, again, Los Angeles Suicide Prevention Hotline, the oldest hotline in the country, that between 1963 and 2019, we haven't, uh, the, the numbers have gone up. However, the numbers of suicide has not gone up on the lines is that two people, out of 7,500,000 that called died by suicide on the lines, too. Statistically speaking, you do not breach. This is why cops will not call, because they are so yeah. afraid. Afraid of, of being labeled. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and our, our volunteers are trained to deal with anything from that bad day. 95% of our calls are just bad day calls. It is not a suicide hotline. We believe that if we can grab them with low-hanging fruit, Mm-hmm. When there's high hanging fruit, they had a good experience. They'll call. I think one of the, if if you don't mind, I'm going to share two wonderful calls. One of them, I think that that will always remain with me was um, was a a woman in her 30s. Her father was a police officer who had passed away, and she wanted fatherly advice, and she wanted to talk to a cop, and wow. so she called. And it was just a beautiful kind of call. And, uh, and I remember our, our volunteer uh, had said that he hopes when he's gone and his daughter needs to talk to somebody that she'll That's make a awesome. call. So that, so that was one that really touched my heart. And the other one was um, a vet who has a dual career, which, as you know, is pretty common. Um, and he made the call to the Veterans Hotline. Veterans Hotline um, had decided that he was suicidal. He had made you know, suicidal statements and called because who do you call? You call the police department. It's his police department. So now his own shows up. And it was his lieutenant. And his lieutenant called him up and, and said, I need you to come out. And he went nuts. And he said, I need you to look out the window. And it was his lieutenant who had taken off literally everything, 
had no guns. And he said, I just need to give you a card. And he came out and he gave him Copline's card and said, call them. They don't, they don't call us when somebody's talking about killing themselves. And that became invaluable for us. And when I've done, um, we worked with, with um, Veterans Hotline um, through, through uh, Didi Hirsch out in California. And they had asked us to tell that story um, because of how important it was. So, you know, I, 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 know, I know what it's like to feel like your world's coming to an end. But I can't imagine what it's like when one of your own comes to to your home and you now feel like you're embarrassed. Yeah. And uh, now you've really and lost it, it everything. It digs that hole deeper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to share with you an incident. Okay. On one of my many attempts, I took a, a bunch of Klonopin, way too many, and I fell asleep. And um, my wife tried to stir me and I wasn't waking up when the police showed up they tried a little harder to stir me and they were able to do it so i opened my eyes i'm I'm sitting in a chair i open my eyes and i'm staring in front of people that i know at at your lowest point the amount of embarrassment you feel embarrassment you feel like a failure you feel all these different things um and incidentally, and then I had to go to the hospital, and it was all sorts of it was it was a whole thing. Right. If I would have just reached out to somebody like Copline, mm-hmm. non-judgmental, who I could talk through mm-hmm. uh, that portion that that something I'm not very proud of that I, that I did, but I did it, so I own it. You know, um, what you're doing for the police community could never be repaid. But I know at some level it's it's refilling your heart because your soul is mm-hmm. going to be clean when you pass on because you did really God's work. And from the bottom of my heart, I thank you for what you're doing and what you're about to do and what you're currently doing. Truly my honor. I mean, <clears throat> truly, truly my honor. I'm just glad that I found the vehicle and I found the path and that I haven't. I haven't wavered. On behalf of the hundreds of thousand cops that you have helped, I want to thank you also. So and Amanda, you also. You know, you're you're part of this. Ama- so. Amanda, you you've been a you've <clears throat> been a shining star for police, both of you. Um, we could not do what we did without people such as yourself uh, doing what you do and caring. Uh, but we are coming to this, coming to the end of this thing. And I end, I end the show the same way every time because you have seen an enormous amount of suffering. And anytime you see suffering, if you're not learning from it, if you're not having a takeaway from it, it's really a lost opportunity. So seeing what you've seen, detailing this brain, finding a new path to curing uh, what they consider post-traumatic stress, which is hard even to call post-traumatic stress anymore. What do you think it's taught you? To look beyond, to not follow the path that everybody else followed, to think outside of the box, and to be willing to take as much shit as you have to, to do so. And and look at the big picture. Yeah. You know, not just, Correct. oh, okay, PTSD, uh, it's, it's checklist, PTSD, CTE, uh-huh. a, look at the big picture of why it's happening, Absolutely. not how it happened, why this is happening. And what can be done. Exactly. I am solution-based. So, Stephanie, we've had some moments in this studio. One of them is sitting right next to you. The other one who I spoke with is Clark Fredericks. And you have been added to that list of people who have touched us. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. What Thank an you. Honor. Thank we, you. We, we always talk about decompressing on the way home. I may have to take a couple laps around the block before I actually get home <laughs> after this one. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. It's been an honor. Amanda. 
you 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 left me speechless tonight <laughs> for once. Yeah. Yeah. Mission you know, impossible. And, and I took a lot of pride in that that I yes, finally made Kevin's speech. He was grinning like the Cheshire Cat. That was a good one. That was a real good one. And that's going to do. And it. Andrew knew about it too, so Andrew never let the cat out no. of the bag. He's you too. I'm going to. What other <laughs> secrets are you guys keeping from me? And I just want to. I just want to say to you, Stephanie, as well, from um, from the perspective of what I do. Like it's nothing like what you do, but I mean, um, having people like you, obviously doing what I do, you learn. I like I said, I've evolved over these years, right? And you're learning all of these new new ways to be able to help people and everything else. But to f- finally see that you know there's people out there who are willing to go above and beyond to keep on fighting, because just when you think you have the answer, there's something more that's going to come apart, right? And and just knowing that there's people like you out there that's going to continue to fight for that, that's huge. It's huge. Like, I just found tonight fascinating. <laughs> See, I think it was God's work we're supposed to be here tonight, you know? There there's, are no chance yeah, meetings. No, you're exactly. always where you're supposed to be. Exactly. See, my whole thing is if, if your car breaks down, you take it to a mechanic, they know what's wrong with it. Uh, your yeah. brain breaks down, nobody knows what's wrong with it. Yeah. I'm overly Until grateful now. that I know both of you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's going to do it for this episode of The Suffering Podcast, The Suffering of the Brain with Stephanie Samuels. And let's think about all the stuff that we learned. Therapists bear witness to the pain. Police are loyal, but police are also unforgiving. What's on the other side of the wall? There's more of you than there aren't. Just take a look beyond, but most importantly, the brain keeps score. And if you or anybody else you know is suffering with depression, mental health, suicidal thoughts, and they're in the first responder or law enforcement field, please call 1-800-COP-LINE. They're there to help you. And that's going to do it for this episode of The Suffering Podcast. Please uh, subscribe to the channel, comment, like. You can ring the bell, and now you can join. Go to popple.com for a digital business card. Put in the code TSP20 for 20% off. Follow us on all social media. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. <laughs> oh, you took a book out of Amanda's page. Only fa- Mike, you're, that was your cue to say OnlyFans. <laughs> OnlyFans. <laughs> follow Mike at Mike underscore police. Follow me at Real Kevin Donaldson. And of course, follow the Suffering Podcast as well as Irish Angel. And we're going to see you on the next episode. 